Welcome and join me today on the Hi Hello Sura podcast, where I decode and deconstruct the stories, secrets, and skills of the creators of our time. If you are looking to challenge the status quo and get new perspectives, join me as I share with you practical advice that you can use to impact your life and help those around you today. Hey there, and welcome to the Hi Hello Sura show. I'm your host, Sura al Naimi. Now today I am so excited. I have a phenomenal guest. I have such a treat for you. Her name is Anita Stubenraw. And in a moment, she will share with you exactly how to pronounce her name amongst many other things. Now some background for you about Anita. She's an ex-Apple creative veteran. She was there for over 13 years. She helped reimagine Apple's credo designed presentations given to Steve Jobs, and was at Angela Arden's uh, speechwriter. Now, if that isn't enough, what is she up to right now? So she is the founder and creator of an amazing uh, company called Cause Effect Creative, which helps individuals and organizations author the stories they want to live into. She is a strategic advisor for community.com, and wait for it, she is also the founder and creator of The Land of Make and Believe, which is uh, creating a transformational retreat space unlike any other that we've seen before. So I love this description of it. She says, where unlikely heroes learn to slay their dragons for artists, activists, and social impact organizations. I am thrilled to have you here. Welcome, Anita. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm just so stoked every time we get together. It's such a thrill. So Anita, uh, we talked earlier and there's so much that we could cover in our time together. Uh, so I really, you know, through your power and your intuition, where would you like us to start today? Mm, that's such a good question. Um, I think I want to start where I start with my clients and, um, and folks that I advise uh, I think just with soul questions, the kind of work that really gets at like purpose and being able to convey your passion. Fantastic. Yes. So tell us more about that soul questions. Like we don't, we, ha- we hear about that in certain arenas, but then how does that relate to the brand work or the, the individuals, the clients that you work with? Yeah. In the business world. Um, it's so funny because I didn't originally like start out thinking to call this sort of series of questions, soul questions. It just sort of ended up becoming a set of questions that people were finding so meaningful that that became the inevitable sort of name for them. Um, soul questions to me are these questions that really help articulate like why you are here in the world. And I'll just, I'll just list the questions for you. Um, why are you here? What do you do? What makes you different? What's your personality? Who are you here for? What do you value? And these questions are so fundamental to being able to articulate, you know, a brand, a product, a project, a cause, uh, even a personality, like as a human, if you're wanting to like sort of brand yourself, like that's a thing now. Um, it's, it's 
soul work. It's like the foundational sort of backstory to being able to tell any kind of story about yourself. And I'm so passionate about these particular questions because, you know, there's a lot of talk about brand storytelling, um, but not so much focus on brand story writing. And it's really the work about the craft of creating that point of view that people can resonate with and they can feel like when, when you speak from a point of truth uh, and passion with conviction, with something at stake, with something that matters and means something to other people in this world, you feel it. And that's what these soul questions are about. Wow. Oh my goodness. I just need to just take a pause as I listen to that because the universal application of this boggles my mind. And what I'm connecting to is the ability to really create that sense of empathy and intimacy with, within a business setting, you know, because this, this would make so much sense to me when I think about development work as an individual and you're really bringing it, it feels like to me that you're really bringing it back to that human level and you're, you're humanizing business. Yeah. I mean, it was, and it was an accident. Like it wasn't like a grand plan um, that I had. Uh, I more or less after leaving Apple um, and starting my own consultancy uh, created a creative brief. Like anyone who's worked in a creative profession, you know, the brief is like the cornerstone. It's the everything. Uh, and so I set out to make a brief that was going to work well for me and for my clients. And these questions to me were so fundamental for getting to know who they are and what they were about in this world that I put them in. And when I gave the briefs to people um, and sort of the homework to complete before we would come together and connect um, and they came back, they were telling me they were having these really emotional experiences answering these questions and these really revelatory experiences. Uh, and I was, you know, surprised and excited by that information, you know, in the same way that uh, doing innovation work, right? Like you think you have a hunch for how something might go. You put it out in the world, you test it. And when you come back with insights you were never expecting, um, it just is uh, an exciting opportunity to, to take that path kind of to an extreme and see where could that go? Where could that lead? And that's what's become this whole curriculum. <laughs> oh, I see. And Sorry, we have my... some guests with us as well. <laughs> we do have some guests. I've got two dogs here in the room with me. Um, one of who is, is one of whom is deaf. That's um, Delphi. Um, mm -hmm. She's a 50 pound Australian cattle dog. She's white with some like black and gray spots all over her. Uh, and then we've got Shadow here. Um, he's a 100 pound Rottweiler Mastiff pit bull mix. Um, and he's pretty quiet, but really good at sighing. Oh, so beautiful. It's great to have amazing company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so when you talk about people having these revelation moments, um, can you say more about that and, and bring that to life? Yeah. So one of the ways, um, that's coming to mind immediately uh, I worked with a client uh, based in the UK um, who does a lot of work um, advocating for folks with uh, disabilities. And he's got a lot of different endeavors 
on his plate at any one time. Like he'd founded like kind of this media channel, um, does a lot of public speaking, like consults with companies and organizations with like local governments. Um, and one of the exercises that I gave was for him to answer these questions, but across the different roles that he plays in his life and roles and or the brand. So it was like, okay, what is, what are the answers to these questions for specifically like Disability Horizons, his media channel? What are the answers to these questions for him as like a public speaker in the world? What are the answers to these questions for this marketing wing he was developing? And in doing that exercise, he unlocked the ways in which he was sort of glomming a bunch of different things together and not having a really super clear focus for each one of these endeavors. Uh, and then was also able to uncover the holes that existed for different projects. So he might have a really clear reason um, or really clear answer for like, what do you do across all three different things? But he might not have a really clear answer for what do you value across all those different things? And they're different. You know, what he might value as a human could be very different from what he might value as a, you know, the CEO of this marketing wing of his company. And they should be different. Um, but it's only when you can articulate those things and you can understand those differences um, and act on them that each one of those different channels becomes really powerful. And how does, when you talk about them being different in different areas, how does that play out in terms of like congruence, you know? Like are they markedly different or are they under the same umbrella but the priorities are different within these different arenas? Yeah, let me give you let me give you the example um, of my own answers to some of these questions. Uh, so, for example, why are you here? Me, as a human being. Um, no, I'll give you that one last. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, why are you here uh, for the land of make and believe? I'm here to create a transformational space where unlikely heroes can learn to slay their dragons right? Why are you here for cause effect creative? I'm here to help people author, people and organizations author their stories that they want to live. And me as a human, why am I here? I'm here just to try to make this world just a little bit more magical. And each one of these things are different, but they sort of inform each other. They, they have like points that touch and connect across them but they have their own focus. That, that makes a lot of sense. And so I'm just, I'm still reveling in what you shared. I've, I've seen it written down, but to have you express it like really is so inspiring. And like, I want to play in that space and, and, and you know, be able to clearly identify that. So thank you for that inspiration, Anita. So when we, thank you. So when we, and this happens so often when we speak. So when you are working with your clients, like I, you know, such a variety, how, how do you go about this journey uh, with them? And what is, what does that fit? Like we've, we've been through a journey with you, um, you know, from a brand story. And it was, it was so riveting to me of, you know, getting into the personal and then into the business and then just that tapestry that's woven. How, how have people been able to use this foundation 
um, in the work that they do. I think there's there's kind of two things that are coming to mind. One is uh, when I'm facilitating the experience, um, it's very similar to the way that I look at the the kind of experience I'm I'm working to create here at the land of make and believe, where you're just creating the conditions for like radical, vulnerable, honesty, transparency, and really kind of audacious dreaming. Um, and I think our everyday lives don't generally lend themselves to that kind of an experience. Um, we get really caught up in deliverables, milestones, stakeholders, other people's opinions, uh, ideas about what we think we're supposed to be doing. And when we really allow ourselves to think about why we're here on this planet, like what we're meant to do, what like the most wildly successful iteration of the thing that we think we're here to do could be, and at what impact that could have on the world, when you really let yourself go and play in those places, like that's where magic happens. And in the facilitated experience, like my job is just to hold and create a container where that can happen. With yourself as you're facilitating yourself through these kinds of questions, you've got to facilitate yourself. And you have to sort of suspend disbelief and create a space of non-judgment and uh, a space of possibility. And, you know, it could be that that space of possibility starts out really small, right? Like it might start out so small that like you couldn't stretch your arms inside that space because it's all you've got room for in that moment. And that's totally okay. Because the beauty of these questions is you can come back to those questions, you can answer them again. And you can push that space out from you a little bit further each time because the thing that blows me away all the time is that I like to think that I have a pretty wild imagination. Uh, in fact, like my umbrella company is called Hyperactive Imagination. I am consistently blown away by how small I keep dreaming when the universe presents me with things that are beyond my wildest imagination. When this really resonates, Anita, in just recently, we had a workshop and part of it was daring to dream, mm. giving permission to dream. Yeah. And this notion as adults, as we accrue experience, that that becomes the, the building blocks for no or limitation. Yeah. So when you work with individuals, what advice would you have for them to be able to temporarily ask that inner critic to take a rest yeah. so that they can go wild with imagination? What, what would you recommend? What, a, what is a way in, even, even if it's a micro way in? Yeah, I mean, what I do um, for myself sometimes, uh, the, one of the first things I did was I had a moment actually where uh, in doing some inner work um, on a belief where uh, I had this huge revelation that that part of me was actually just trying to help. 
you know, I had this belief that um, uh, I'm better at brainstorming than I am at um, filtering brainstorming and like focusing brainstorming and like coming up with the next sort of like, you know, plan part of it. Because I like brainstorming. I had this, I had this belief that I'm good at it and then I, I like it and that's what I should be doing. And uh, I realized that I had this part of me that no actually was good at the other thing. But because I liked conveying the shiny, like bubbly, excited part of brainstorming, that that other part didn't get to play. And that all it really wanted to do was play. And it was, it sounds sort of silly maybe, but it was um, really emotional for me. And it was a revelation that that aspect of me, that like little inner voice is just trying to help. And so at first, just acknowledging that it is trying to help, like kind of settles it, at least for me, a little bit. It's like, I hear you, you are a part of this conversation. You are a valuable part of this conversation. And right now, the microphone is going over here. And the way that I can help myself sometimes get out of a rut where I am starting to think too small, um, I just give myself different prompts. So like there was literally like um, a dinner that I was at with my, my boyfriend and he bought lottery tickets and he was convinced it was that night was the night he was going to win. And it was as soon as we had this conversation where I was like, okay, the jackpot was 300 something million dollars. And I was like, wow. Okay. So if tomorrow we woke up and we had 300 something million dollars, would my dreams change? My dreams mm. specifically for the lands of make and believe. And I was like, yeah, they would. So why, why am I not thinking bigger? And you know, spoiler, he did not win the lottery. <laughs> but it did make me think, it, I, it made me realize in that moment that I wasn't letting myself dream as big as the space wants me to dream. If money were no object and we had all the security and safety in the world, yeah, what would we do if we knew that we couldn't fail? Yeah, what if we, what would we do if we knew that everything was lining up? Like, what is this? There's an expression of like the universe is conspiring to support you. Right. Yeah. What would we do if we knew that? Right. And like could believe it and feel it like in our core. And that would be, that, that I, I'll speak for myself, would feel fabulous. And I would right. continue to expand and take risks. Well, they wouldn't feel like risks. They would just feel like a, a natural progression. Exactly. Yes. You were asking, like, how do you access that space? Um, becoming detached from an outcome. Right. Yeah, because as a facilitator. that moment in time. For yeah. that moment in time. For that moment, for that experience, to be able to hold and create that space of exploration. Yeah. Be, <laughs> don't, worry, don't be attached to like coming up with like the perfect phrase. Good God, no. And so I have a podcast, number two, which is all about giving space to have that dreaming happen. And it's really about just cultivating a space for it. It doesn't mean that there's a commitment to it. It doesn't mean that 
you're going to put a tattoo on your forehead. You know, it doesn't mean <laughs> that you are going to like go drop all your money on, you know, number eight black at the mm-hmm. roulette, right? It just simply means let me pause and just, just give space for this cultivation. And then yeah. I, afterwards I can step back and then choose how I want to lean into that future reality. And what you're talking about in terms of the truth and wild imagination, just, just simply the pattern I'm connecting with is just simply giving yourself that permission and luxury to pause without it being perfect, without it having to be stamped and sealed is, is perhaps the biggest gift we can give ourselves. So I know that you have worked with individuals to help them gear up to get funding for their organization, to help them take a big stage with 10,000 people in front of them, to help them write curriculum that had previously been so stodgy, but to imbue their own voice. And so this process and mindset is yielding so many of these really pretty meaty, tangible um, consequence. Can you, can you share some of those stories with us? Yeah. Um, I think my very first client was uh, someone who had uh, to present in front of 10,000 people, I think in, in two weeks, um, my very first post Apple client. And, you know, we went through this same process together. Um, And a lot of what the process does is give you insight to yourself and your own hopes, your own dreams, your own ambitions. Um, And a lot of times the way I articulate what I do is my job, I may like uh, have a function uh, as a writer sometimes, but my job is to listen and to listen to what people say to what people don't say, to what people are feeling, to what people are dreaming, to what people won't allow themselves to dream. And uh, some of it is an in, like part of an intuitive practice, um, but that wasn't even conscious to me that it was. It was just for me an experience of deep listening And then when I would sit down to write, um, because that listening like fills me up like deeply, uh, I, I feel like I act as almost like a vessel for all of that listening for someone else. So that when I do come to writing, it's not my words. It's not my words, it's not my voice. It's their words, their voice, their hopes, their dreams, their ambitions, but conveyed in a way that feels like them. I would imagine, and I speak from personal experience, that to have somebody hold space for my story where I'm not worrying about process and if I'm capturing everything is is super powerful. And I think as as Sherpa's, um, as listeners, um, we have the ability to play neutral for an individual, but also 
be their best advocate, you know, yeah. to shine a light on the things that they might not be amplifying that, that you see as um, jewels, you know, within them. And yeah, so, I think a lot of times I think we it, like walk through the world where we don't put ourselves in the position of being like the hero in our own story. We um, can, it's really easy to be witness to other people as heroes and other people as like, you know, the leading actors and actresses of whatever, the, whatever this is. And some of what I do, and this never occurred to me until this conversation, but I think some of what this process does is a hold space for someone to be able to see themselves as the hero of their own story. And some of what the questions get at is scale and amplification and impact. So if they, like, if they are the hero of that story, if they can start to see themselves that way, and if they can start to potentially see the impact that they could have in the world when they really believe that, and when they put that belief into their product, into their projects, into their causes, they can feel it. And that feeling is what resonates with everyone else. And it's that feeling which is contagious. And it's that feeling which creates this huge impact in the world. So how do our listeners tap into making themselves the hero of their story in lieu of, of course, talking to you, but what are a couple of things that they can do to still the mind and really champion themselves getting, getting into their truth so that they can express that for themselves and also for their teams and the businesses that they're looking to scale and have impact with? I mean, I think if, if I were going to give anyone something to do like right now, it would be just to pick the one question. Why are you here? and to spend time with that question. And it's a big question, like I know, and it is a hard question, I know. Um, but it is the question, because when you start to get answers for it, and I, you know, believe me, don't, how do I say this? Don't worry about getting it right. Just let what comes come. Um, if anyone has ever, uh, is familiar with the process of just like automatic writing, sort of like connecting more with your unconscious and just letting your unconscious write for you instead of like whatever part of the brain. And I know, you know, what this part of the brain is, Sarah, whatever part of the brain that wants to act as like editor in chief, um, mm -hmm. to like put them on the back burner and just let what comes come. Uh, for me, a lot of times this, uh, these kinds of insights and this kind of information arises from like a meditative practice or um, like actively sitting and meditating or just doing a something that I enjoy um, that my mind is allowed to wander to interesting places. And then that's where things come. And I'm like, wait, what? I didn't know. I didn't know that that was something that was important to me. I didn't know that that was something that uh, I was supposed to do um, or be in service of someone else. Um, so again, it is, it's just listening. It's just listening um, on different levels. 
another way to do it uh, that can be probably easier to start with is to ask other people that you care about um, and who care about you. Uh, <laughs> Preferably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if they had to answer, you know, that question for you on your behalf, you know, what do they see? That sometimes can um, be mold breaking a bit. Wow. So I think a lot of times other people can see a lot more in us than we can see in ourselves. I'm thinking and connecting to a team situation where we might be able to rally and really understand, you know, why we're here and a great and, and extrapolating that to, you know, maybe some teammates that preferably you get on really well with, mm -hmm. <laughs> have them answer that for you. And then, and then from that feedback, you know, why am I here as an individual? Why are we here as a team? And then what is our mission going forward based on that? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that working. The, the why are you here for yourself? That work will inform the way you engage with any kind of team. Mm -hmm. um, the why are you here? You know, the question, you know, if you wanted to reframe that question a little bit to make it a slightly easier for you to ask someone else to answer on your behalf. Uh, when I'm at my best, why am I here? And that allows someone to sort of see you in specific moments and articulate what they value from your presence and your participation and contribution. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of value to this just one question. There's a lot of pressure on the one question, but um, there's no one right answer. There can be an answer that, the answer that resonates with you in whatever given moment is, is a right answer. And that's the answer to go looking for. So we talked a little bit earlier about this being the backstory. Yeah. This work being the backstory. And then there are other questions that we can reveal, which helps unfold, put texture, put color to the plot. Yeah. So I would love for us to be able to share that with our listeners. I, I know that there are many, but a couple that you might be able to share sure. for people. And also before we get into that, well, a combination, when should I be thinking about the plot as well? I'm gonna just throw that in as well. Oh, that's a really good question. Okay, so if we consider all of these other questions as like the foundation for identity, right? For a point of view um, and a presence in the world, uh, in a way, I do consider that kind of the backstory, like that's what contributes to the plot. You know, when is there a plot? There's a plot when something needs to happen, when something's got to give, something's got to change, when you want to have some kind of an impact in the world. That's when plot comes into play. So how do you put presence into plot? Well, there's more questions. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah, there's um, more questions. And if you're not questioned out, I'll give you a few of them. I would, I would love to okay. hear them and to be able to share them. So the first question is what's happening? So what is happening in the world, right? Like, are you introducing a new program or product? 
Is an industry rising or falling? Is a company growing or shrinking? What is disrupting the equilibrium that, you, that has got you involved? Why does that matter? What's at stake? So to inspire action, you need your audience, whoever you're communicating with, whether that's like through a conversation, a pitch, a meeting, uh, an ad, you need your audience to empathize with you or your organization, your brand, your product, your service, or the people that you serve. And you need real relatable stakes to engage them. This is something like, these are oftentimes binary stakes that have dynamic change over time. And that's just gibberish and I apologize, but it could be something like life or death, right? It could be something like uh, justice, injustice, right? These are big, meaty, powerful things at stake because of something that's happening in the world. So then what are you doing about it? And then what do you want others to do about it? Then you've got a super objective. And basically all that means is, is what do you want to happen? And why does it matter? And how does that relate to what's at stake? Those values that are at stake. Then what's in your way? Because it's not a story unless something is in the way. There's some kind of obstacle some kind of forces of antagonism. And more or less, like if you are wanting a formula to create suspense, it's just take curiosity, add tension, that's suspense. I love the way that you're unpacking and helping individuals decipher storytelling. You know, so if we think about, we're exposed to stories every day in every form and the ones that stick are, are the ones that have i would imagine these building blocks or these core ingredients like the protagonist um, tension points call to adventure um, so as as an entrepreneur as somebody who is looking to persuade but also to understand my own story in what scenarios would i be looking to unpack the story and assemble it and convey it with others? I think it really depends on what it is that you are wanting to accomplish. So if it's a personal story, right, about you and your path in this world, um, it would have a lot to do with like what's happening in the world right now and what's brought you to this moment with them in conversation, potentially say with your audience on this podcast. And why does it matter, right? What do you have to offer that matters to them? And why are you passionate about it, right? What are you doing about it? And what are you hoping that they're going to do about it, right? And what do you want to happen? Because you, as the host of this incredible show, right, have this goal that's out there hanging in the distance that you can see in your peripheral vision that your audience can tangibly feel in their peripheral presence, because otherwise they wouldn't be listening, they wouldn't care. But there is a shared goal that's created in this experience. And then what's in the way, right? All the stuff that's in the way are all the topics that you talk about with your guests, right? If this one is storytelling and identity, 
It's being able to articulate it so that doesn't get in the way of what they're hoping to accomplish, do, and dream. That makes a lot of sense. That's so compelling. So when we think about these questions and, and they just, Anita, they just effuse out of you so naturally, you know, and your ability to take a moment and then translate that into the core components never fails to amaze me. So how do other individuals get access to that or get, um, I always love to talk about get a, a muscle memory, you know, like perhaps they're a little flabby, maybe um, they are triathletes and they want to, you know, get to that iron, iron person stage. How do people start to accrue this skill set and, and practice? Uh, there's a really simple but really powerful story formula that's, that's probably easier to remember than all of these questions. Um, and it comes from uh, someone named Robert McKee, who is uh, more or less like, you know, a god of story, um, sort of similar uh, pantheon to Joseph Campbell, but um, present day, and uh, maybe a bit more curmudgeonly, but I love Robert McKee. Um, so his story formula is hook, hold, reward. Hook, hold, reward. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. Uh, hook. It is basically that, that moment of um, creating curiosity and tension in one fell swoop, one word, right? Something is happening and something is at stake. And it's the reason where somebody can hook you, if somebody can create that kind of suspense, you will watch like the worst possible programming uh, available on television uh, because they hooked you. Something strange happened and you just can't imagine how it's going to turn out. So now you need to know. That's a hook. Oh, that's why I do that. Yeah. <laughs> I do <you>. it. <laughs> <laughs> I do it. I do it all the time for some really bad programming. Uh, uh, a hold is just, can you keep someone hooked over time? Creating enough like interest, enough dynamic change in a story or in a character's development, um, in the obstacles that they must overcome, uh, can you hold my attention? And the reward is just like, what did I get out of this experience? You know, in the case of really bad programming, it could be that you just got to find out who the heck was like the, murder, the murderer in a murder mystery, right? Like, oh, I can't believe that that's who that was. Uh, and so that's satisfying on some level, right? Um, in storytelling, like novels and um, sort of fictional storytelling, a lot of times it can be that kind of a reveal uh, or some kind of emotional catharsis that happens. That can be a reward. In business storytelling, a lot of times that reward is um, aligned with this empathy. You have like an empathetic connection with a brand or the product that accomplishes something that reaches a super objective that you suddenly share based on the situation that they've constructed for you. Uh, let me give you an example. So um, there was uh, an ad by I think Michelin in, I want to say like the eighties where it was a, a print ad and it was just a, a tire set like in a space, like a white open, you know, vast space with a baby in it. And I think the tagline was a lot is riding on your tires. There's not like a, you know, whole story say spelled out with like a beginning, middle and end 
you know, crisis, all that sort of, your mind fills that in for you. Your mind says, oh my God, there's a, there was this experience where it was dark, it was raining, it was wet, I was on a mountain road with switchbacks, I lost control of the tires, I started to spin out, my baby is in the car, right? You just start to, whatever that scenario is that creates that, that tension inside you, because there's life and death. They don't specifically say it. It's just presented to you. So that's a hook. It's a hold. And the reward is, you know, if you buy into that promise from Michelin that their tires are going to save you in that situation or save you from even the feeling of empathizing with that situation, then that's a reward. The reward is like, oh, I want to keep feeling safe. So I'm gonna buy these tires. Wow. And this really relates to your core tenets of speaking truth, inviting empathy and doing good. This is all, this is the bedrock for any communication, whether yeah. it's the backstory or it's the plot. It's, it's, it's I imagine woven into everything. Yeah. I mean, if I think about the identity work, um, it's really at getting out what is your truth. Right. Because that truth is powerful and the world deserves that truth. That is the, the place from which you can have the greatest impact. Inviting empathy is the way that you invite the rest of the world into your story in a way where they get to be a part of it. Uh, and they get to benefit from it, and that you get to resonate with that, and you get to feel that. And then doing good, for me, is um, something that's just, like, personally meaningful, right? Because you can use story for all kinds of things, right? Like, you might use it to sell some tires. You might use it to, um, to like, foment fear uh, and unrest, um, or to persecute a people. And you know, story is powerful. Let's do good with it. Right. So Anita, how can people get in touch with you? How can people learn more? How can people, apart from the richness that you have just shared with us, you know, how can we get more? <laughs> <laughs> well, if um, people want more, uh, I am in the process right now of creating a, my first online course, uh, specifically on this topic, um, a brand story writing series. Um, the first mod, uh, the first, le not modular lesson, sorry. The first <laughs> course is called soul work. Uh, so it is a guided, uh, experience through these questions and we go really deep into each one of these questions. Um, if you go to courses.causeeffectcreative.com, uh, I've got a wait list where you can sign up and be notified when the course is live. And the first module of which uh, is scheduled to be live later this month. That is so exciting. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. And then what else is the, what is the best way to connect with you, whether it's for the land of make and believe or whether it's um, having some one-on-one -on -one work with you? Uh, how can people reach you? Uh, you can reach me. There's a contact form on causeeffectcreative.com or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. 
Well, Anita, thank you so much. I'm really excited to see the course come out. I can't wait to experience it. I've, I've been privy to a little trailer and I'm super stoked. And I'm looking forward to continuing the adventure of unraveling truth and doing good in the world. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This has been a pleasure, Sarah. Now, listeners, if you're interested in getting a little bit deeper into the questions that Anita has been sharing with you, you can check out her course at courses.causeeffectcreative.com. And I will have that link in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the show today, please do not hesitate to rate it on your preferred platform. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah Alnamy. Thank you listeners for joining us today. I will have all of Heather's information in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the episode today, please do not hesitate to rate us on the mediums that be. Until next time, I'm your host, Sura. Hey there, and welcome to the Hi Hello Sura show. I'm your host, Sura al Naimi. On this episode, we explore how to navigate between creativity and order. We unpack firstly why this is important to begin with and what each mindset is characterized by, how, how it's represented, and then how we can step and flow between one state of being into another. It is worth mentioning that I recorded this session with my guest back in mid-February and our model for discovery drew upon the work of Jordan Peterson, who coined the term chaos versus order, with chaos representing creativity. So I want to take a moment to bring that up in case there was a sensitivity to that term and just to clarify that that is the birthplace or the model for navigation for this conversation. So without further ado, we'll get into this episode. So today is a real treat, as I mentioned, I have an amazing guest. Her name is Heather Papalis. Now, Heather is a behaviorist and psychologist, and she has been working with animals for over 10 years. She has worked with an array of animals, such as cats, dolphins, elephants, horses, killer whales, and wolves, to name a few. She's the founder of an organization called Techpology, which uses technology to train people on how to train their pets both in person and virtually, pain-free and fear-free. So without further ado, I would love and I'm excited to welcome my guest, Heather. Heather, welcome to the show. And thank you, listeners. As always, I appreciate you joining, tuning in, reflecting, and hopefully taking a morsel to take away with you today. And thank you, listeners. As always, I appreciate you joining. And if you got some value from today. And thank you, listeners, for joining. If you enjoyed. And thank you, listeners. And thank you, listeners. And as always, 
please do not hesitate to rate this podcast on the mediums that be that brought you to us today. And really looking forward to you joining us next time. I'm your host, Surah al Naimi. Welcome and join me today on the Hi Hello Surah podcast, where I decode and deconstruct the stories, secrets, and skills of the creators of our time. If you are looking to challenge the status quo and get new perspectives, join me as I share with you practical advice that you can use to impact your life and help those around you today. Hey there, and welcome to the Hi Hello Sura Show. I'm your host, Sura Al Naimi. On this episode, we explore how to navigate between creativity and order. We unpack firstly why this is important to begin with and what each mindset is characterized by, how, how it's represented, and then how we can step and flow between one state of being into another. It is worth mentioning that I recorded this session with my guest back in mid-February and our model for discovery drew upon the work of Jordan Peterson, who coined the term chaos versus order with chaos representing creativity. So I want to take a moment to bring that up in case there was a sensitivity to that term and just to clarify that that is the birthplace or the model for navigation for this conversation. So without further ado, we'll get into this episode. So today is a real treat. As I mentioned, I have an amazing guest. Her name is Heather Papalis. Now, Heather is a behaviorist and psychologist, and she has been working with animals for over 10 years. She has worked with an array of animals, such as cats, dolphins, elephants, horses, killer whales, and wolves, to name a few. She's the founder of an organization called Techpology, which uses technology to train people on how to train their pets, both in person and virtually, pain-free and fear-free. So without further ado, I would love and I'm excited to welcome my guest, Heather. Heather, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Sarah. So today we have such a treat for you. We got into this magnificent conversation a couple of weeks ago about creativity and as an entrepreneur giving birth to these beautiful ideas and then, you know, what happens when we give birth to something, you know, how do we actually sustain it and bring it to life and actually have it live and make big impacts in the world? You were mentioning this predisposition to creativity, uh, this creative mind, the state of being, and then, you know, where you came across a stumbling block in the sense of, you know, how with this, all this magnificence and creation, how do we set up the systems that enable it to live and breathe in the world. And so I really wanted to hand it over to you and just bring some of this concept to life and and, and intuitively whatever you felt you wanted to list our listeners to hear to begin with. Sure. And jump in anytime. I have a ton of thoughts on it, of course. (laughs) This is something (laughs) I thought a lot about. Um, So when we're thinking about creativity in the entrepreneur world, we have to take a step back and how the world is itself. 
So Jordan B. Peterson, clinical psychologist and public figure from Alberta, Canada, has um, divided in what he calls chaos and order. And I'm sure we can think of it as right brain, left brain, yin, yang, whatever we want to think about it. Very binary, correct? One or two. So, or in the computer world, one or zero. Now, with this, we can occupy one of the spaces, but there's a full spectrum. So you can occupy any variety of space. You can be highly chaotic, or we can say creative. We can be high orderly. And within those spaces, we move on this spectrum depending on how much work we do in each field. So for those who are high in order, they might be highly conscientious, um, they might be highly industrious, and we celebrate these people in the business world, computer scientists, those who are typically quote unquote successful. They're high in order, they're able to control their lives, so they get very high in that work space where that's celebrated. As some might know, in that realm, they might not be very adept with chaos or the unknown. So when things happen, somebody gets sick, something changes in the company, there's backlash in the media, something of that nature, they find or can find that's very hard for them to adapt to. So there's benefits of being on both sides and we're not necessarily in one or the other. So again, Jordan B. Peterson said it in a way that I really liked, we are the process in which navigates between the two human beings. So we're constantly navigating between chaos and order, and we can shift and move throughout the spectrum. So that's what I found fairly interesting of a thought. Now, where I have discovered and what I have thought a lot about is how we move along the spectrum. Because I'm sure you'd agree very much that we can be chaotic or orderly, correct? Absolutely. But, are, but how? But you, would you also agree you don't want to be labeled one thing for your whole life, correct? I mean, for me, if I stay in one state, then it's not fulfilling. <laughs> you know, right. so. so if you say you're highly creative, but now you want to start a business and now you have to manage that business, do you want to be pegged as the highly creative who can't get their business off the ground? Not so much. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm finding uh, a lot with individuals that they, they start a business and they're, they're in one area or another, or they're within a team and they, they tend to occupy one mindset or another. And, okay. you know, as you know, expansion and contraction are equally important to flow through innovation or any creation process. And I loved how you said in our conversation earlier, you said it's like breathing in and breathing out. You need both. <laughs> you can't get attached exactly. to one or the other. It, it, they're both necessary. Yeah, and, she said, which do you prefer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you prefer breathing in or breathing out? You right. Need so as the right brain and left brain, there are two ways in which we view the world because we have developed over time to need both ways to view the world. The right brain is what adapts us to chaos, the unknown. That's how we think on our feet. When we're fearful, that's how we react. And then the left brain, the orderly, is how we react to what we already know. So we need both. And we, even with brain damage, you can see the brain tries to connect, but we can work with one or the other, but not efficiently. So here's an example 
um, of how we move between the two. You can do it through self or other. So if you're moving on the spectrum, think of it in this way of self. That is the entrepreneur who's super creative and has been living in that world of creativity and chaos. They're highly adaptable, often known as um, enthusiastic or extroverted. So they want to navigate towards the orderly side. How do they do that by themselves? A good guess for you. How do they do that by themselves? Yes. Oh, it's I okay. don't know. Is this, is this a trick question? No, no, <laughs> That's where no, I'm here to find out. <laughs> no, 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 you nailed it right there. So you, you're, they go to learn, they read, they, they employ education. They want to learn what they don't know. So that might be somebody who's trying to get better at their finances, or they might listen at a podcast and learn how to do accounting. They're trying to move to that spectrum, correct? The other way they can do it is through the other. So now learning from another is not quite, because that's still self. You're still trying to do it yourself. But by employing an other, so you can hire somebody, you can have a business partner, you can be in a relationship with someone who's very orderly. That's where they come up with my better half, correct? So through the other, they're actually finding another person to fill that piece that they do not fill. Now there's positives and there's dangers to that as well. So let's talk relationship sense. If you are a highly orderly person, but you, some might call you maybe introverted, correct? or very intelligent, you kind of keep to yourself more, that's someone who's in the self. So someone who's all in self lives in the world of ideas. As Adam Robinson, a chess master and co-founder of Princeton Review says, he lived in the world of ideas. He, was, uh, he had a huge amount of success and he found later on in his life, the meaning of life was others, but he never lived in that realm at all. It was all about himself. So uh, Nietzsche, when he wrote the book, Thus Spark Zarathustra, you have the wise Zarathustra who goes up to the mountains and he's wise and he learns all these things. He learns that God is dead and all of these wonderful epiphanies, but he's, he says he's full, he's heavy with knowledge. He must come back down the mountain and share it with others. So those who are on one spectrum in self eventually find that need or that lack of other connectivity and they have to come share it. Those who live in the world of others need to find that balance of self where they expend themselves to the, that they're drained. They don't have any self-reliance. If somebody moves or doesn't want to be friends with them anymore, what do they do? So here's kind of, are we, so here's what we're saying here. You can navigate between chaos and order in the way you do it is through self versus other. So that's what we're kind of talking about today. That's interesting. So somebody who is in the world of order can gradually get more into the world of chaos or creativity. Or adaptability. So chaos, by definition, it's nature, the feminine. It's building something new, stepping into the unknown. How many times do we hear in the world of entrepreneurship you have, to, you have to jump into the unknown, take the leap, right? That's chaos. It's not a negative thing. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. The unpredictability, but it creates, it builds something new. 
So that's and and so then when we talk, so that sort of defines that arena. And so the beauty of that is, as you mentioned, is the inception, and then the arena that it doesn't uh, possess in its innate quality is it doesn't it doesn't maintain itself. It's not sustainable to live in either realm completely. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine, I think we had drawn um, like an infinity sign, correct? Exactly. You can think of the two poles as being highly chaotic, highly orderly. We know people like this, correct? The ones that are just with the wind, spontaneous, they're the starving artists, they're, the, they, they're genius, they have beautiful things, they're often likable, but they can't find their car keys every five seconds, correct? So there's a lot of wonderful things about them and, they, and it's not a bad thing, it is not a negative thing. Those who live in a highly chaotic world are highly adaptable. They're highly, um, they're usually highly empathetic. They realize the world of people. So, and then on the other end, you have the person who's highly orderly, but one thing goes wrong and they don't, it's like does not compute, you know, we have those people too, that if so, there's a, a death or a sickness or something goes wrong in their world, they cannot adapt to it. So those are the two poles now, where we are, the closer we can get to the middle, that's rare. Think about your Elon Musk. You know, he's, very, he's high orderly, but he's also very creative. He's a visionary, but he also executes. Now, he does that by employing a lot of others, but he also has a high sense of self. He's very balanced. That's how you can think of the middle, of flowing between the two, if you will. And it's... um. Well, I have two questions from that. One is what inspires somebody to, and we've covered it a little bit, but what, what inspires somebody to shift out from one state into another? Like, what necessity. is it that would, yeah, what would inspire somebody to even think, oh gosh, like I, I want a piece of that, that realm. So let's talk about from both realms. So we have somebody who wants to shift. So now we have two ways you can, the shift comes from necessity. So nobody knows they need to shift or want to shift until something happens, correct? So maybe you are the high order, conscientious, wonderful professional who had a 20 year marriage and that person left them. Their whole world is shaken to the core and now they have to get a handle of that chaos. And so that's high order to chaos. So say you're an entrepreneur, you're highly creative, and you want to start a new business. You've worked maybe for a corporate job or something of that nature, but now you want to shift into your idea, your realm of idea. But now you realize that you have taxes, you have to pay employees. How do you, do, how do you set up the LLC? You've never even thought of these things. You, can't even, you don't even know how many accounts you have, let alone a savings. So you have to find that world of order. Because you can have a wonderful idea, but if you don't have order and you're not able to structure and create these systems, you can't create a business. So if not all is lost, there's two ways to find that. You can employ the self or other, but very good question is how do you know when to shift? Life will tell you because it's out of necessity. Mm, that makes that, that really rings true. That really, really does ring true. So when we think about shifting and I think we talked about making incremental steps 
into yeah. another arena can can you bring that to life so incremental steps would i and this is how my thought on it if you're going to do an incremental step that's a lot that's very much through self because rome wasn't built in a day and i'll give you an example myself included i've always been a highly chaotic and highly uh creative and adaptive person. And I went to get my MBA. So I went through business school, started learning finance. I started to learn basic code. I'm starting to learn a little more of the math and science part of the world. And it was very important for me when I opened my business in 2018, it was very sink or swim. And thankfully being in the world of other and people, I had a lot of wonderful advice and connections and people that I trusted. So here's something interesting. If you live in the world of other and you know yourself, you've done that work, then you can trust when you're making a good or bad decision or you can employ the world of the other to help you make that decision. So who hasn't called their parents to say, hey, let me run this by you. Am I making an awful decision? Well, you trust most people, trust their parents enough that when they say, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> you know, I've known you most of your life and this just doesn't seem like you. So that's when they trust the other to kind of give them a little bit of feedback. Now, the, trusting the self is just as important because a lot of people abandon themselves. So the, that incremental work that you do on yourself every day, whether it be on your peaceful mindset, meditation, that's gonna be on adapting to chaos. Now the peaceful work that you can do in order to have a higher handle on order is going to be your math, your science, your learning a skill slowly but surely and chipping away at it. It's like learning chess or learning a musical instrument and realizing it's that process. It's not gonna happen overnight. You can't be a highly creative and then become highly orderly the next day. So you have to understand the process is going to take a while. And as long as you know that and you've built your trust in yourself and the other, then you can start employing them to help you move in that direction. There's a lot of people out there that will say they'll help you. But if you haven't taken the time to trust these opinions and to know who your connective web is, you could be led astray and not move up the spectrum. You could be moving backwards or off-roading, if you will. So we have an awareness that there are these different realms of existence and that there is this desire to flow between them or sometimes there is a necessity. So now let's think about, you said it takes time to shift or to acquire a new skill or a mindset. So from your perspective and all the, all the wonderful humans that you train to train their pets yes. is there um is there an intersection or is there something that you can share with our listeners so that they can start to make those small steps in the right direction you know in terms of principles or like you know if they want to acquire something new absolutely i'd say the first step and this is cliche is identify know where you stand so that's step one, know where you stand. And even if you're not correct on where you stand, you think you know where you're standing, you find that's not the case, which happens. Sometimes we think we know where we are and we're actually on a different planet, but that's a little bit more. <laughs> but know where you stand. If you're highly creative, if you're highly orderly, it's usually not hard for you to come to, very few times do people say, 
oh, I'm very adaptable. And then they're not, you know, that, you know, basically where you're at. So identify. Then number two, where do you want to be? Make an aim, make a goal. Where do you want to be in your life and your business? So that doesn't mean you're not going to say, I want to be more towards chaos and more towards order. You're going to actually say, where do I want to be? You give a, a goal, a direction. Then you can start to see, okay, so let's do an example. I would like to build my business within five years. What is that going to take? I'm going to need to get it out there through marketing. I'm going to need two employees because it's going to be very difficult. I'm going to need to make a budget. I'm going to need to do a press report. So you're going to start creating these steps. If you create these steps very easy, but you're having a hard time with visualizing the creativity part, the marketing part, the employing other people part, how do I tell my story part? What do you think you need help? Where do you need, what end of the spectrum are you missing? Probably the chaos. You need that adaptability. If you're orderly, but you can't find that creative piece and you would like to get your company out there and you're finding, you're running into those creative roadblocks, maybe you need a little more chaos in your life, a little more creativity. Now, if you are trying to get to point B in your business and you're just running into the, I don't know my accounting, I don't know what's the difference between a financial planner and accountant or a CPA, whatever it may be, and you can't find your phone charger to even make the call to your friend about that, then maybe it's the orderly part you need. So by creating a goal, you're going to start seeing where your bottlenecks are. And by knowing where you stand currently is going to help you so that when you're moving down the scale, you have a reference point. This is where I was, this is where I am now. Are you closer to your goal? Yes, then you're going the right way. You're doing the right thing. Are you not closer to your goal? Then maybe you should try something different. So once you identify where you are and assess where you are, are there, um, you know, this, feels like it's in the realm of habit creation or are there some are there some agnostic of where you're going are there some principles you can share with the listeners so that they can start to you know take action or, and shift so i'd say for the highly orderly and this is from I, i'm i'm not in the realm of highly orderly but i'm getting closer to it so i'm starting to understand and um, through talking with highly orderly people um i attract them and i'm attracted to them um, historically, because that's the other piece of the puzzle for me. Now, if you're high orderly, what you can start to do to balance out, and again, it depends on your goal. I can't give a, I can kind of Yes, give of a course. Framework. Yeah. More, pr more principles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, because then somebody can apply it, whether somebody could apply this, whether we're talking about order or chaos or whether it's in another realm of their life and they can just start to apply it. I would say number one is really know the self. So know yourself, have that point A. Now for high orderly people who are not very well at adapting, I highly recommend something along the lines of meditation, yoga, connecting in that way that you can start to, stoicism's another great one. So the religion might be another great one. If they're all the same thing, arguably, but they bring us to the same place of acceptance, calmness, peace, presence. So that's something a high orderly person who's not very good at adapting 
can start doing in their lives to create that. Now, someone who's in the highly chaotic realm, they can do something along the lines of furthering their education. So small step programs or something of like that nature, doing a um, higher learning or a school program or a linea.com, you can do it online, but those programs that keep helping you and keeping you accountable. You can also do something like uh, getting on an exercise program that holds you accountable because that creates schedule. It creates um, accountability as well. So anything that creates more order in your life, you can download Google calendars and set reminders each time. So anything that gets you on a routine or a schedule is going to get you closer to that acceptance of order. And that's a start. Now here's another element. It's not wrong to employ others, but there's a danger to it. It's a caveat. You can, so know what you do well, so if you do something very well, but you are just terrible at another element, then it's time to bring somebody else in. And you don't know what you don't know. And as you learn, you might find, I am the worst at this. I need to hire somebody to do this. I am not going to look at my stocks. I am not going to be my own accountant. I did not know that I was supposed to be taxed as an S corporation. I had no idea. I don't have enough time in the world. But I, I was able to listen and pick that up within other people and know when I was weak in something and I could trust the person that was put in my life. So you can employ others to move you along the scale. So again, whether it's a, it's a life coach, whether it's a tutor, any of these people are a way for others to help you move along the scale. Now, of course, that's going to be a little bit of your budget or whatever it may be. And I am a high proponent of if somebody is good in their field, pay them to do it. You want them to keep doing what they're doing. So that's something, another way you can move on the field for those who get a little worried about, I can't take this on alone. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it relates back to, I think we talked about this, but in innovation, there are different creative thinking styles and within that, we identify what our specific uh, creative thinking style is and that of our teammates. And that's where we are able to better collaborate with one another and also better to understand, you know, this is where I'm playing to my strengths and this is where I'm over relying on my thinking style. And it's time to employ uh, partnering with somebody else or shifting gears, you know. So within that, we have... Um, clarifying, ideating, developing, and implementing. And so within that realm, if I find myself particularly strong, for example, in ideation and clarifying, but, you know, lacking energy or motivation in development and in implementation, often I will partner with somebody else who, you know, their energy rises there so that we can get to the fruition of a project, it can be manifested and seen in the world and also maintained. So uh, that, that really resonates. And that's a, that's a great point. So you're, so you said, say you're an ideator and now you want to connect and employ somebody, um, employ another who's strong in another sense. So the argument I'm making here is that is a great way to do that. But I am saying that it is possible to move so if you see what you respect and what you like about that person and what helps them complete you, it is possible. It's not quick, but it's possible for you to adapt and learn a part of that 
to bring you closer to that center. I guess the whole point of this, and people might think that's great, Heather and Sarah, like that's awesome. This sounds very complicated, but wonderful. But <laughs> what's the point? Like why, why talk about this? And here's the point of it all, in my opinion. The point of it is, is that people who are, have found that balance of being able to flow through order and chaos have longer sustained success. Those who find success through either end of the spectrum, high order, high chaos, they can find a short burst of success. But those who overwork themselves, they're insistent, they're order, they get sick, they lose it, they burn out, it's not sustainable. Those who are, who are highly chaotic and they have no order in their lives, it's not sustainable. They're gonna make a very grave error somewhere. So the closer you can get to the middle, which takes work, self-growth takes work, there's no shortcuts, but that should be celebrated. That if you can identify that and celebrate that there is no hack, that there is no shortcut, that it's the constant incremental movements on that scale you make every day. Sometimes you'll make leaps, sometimes bounds, sometimes you'll feel like you're moving backwards. You're not, but it feels like it. And sometimes you have to take a step back to take two steps forward. So my argument is the sooner we can realize this and the sooner we can appreciate the role we play in each other's lives and not look at it as weaknesses or not be ashamed of who you are and what you've been through, as long as you're making a forward movement towards the goal you have set for yourself, that's what I believe is the true success. Amazing. Thank you, Heather. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And uh, if our listeners wanted to ask more questions or get in touch with you, what is the best way to get in touch with you? So um, you can go to techology.com for your listeners specifically. If you go to techology.com um, slash hi, hello, Sarah then you'll have a special little greeting for your members only club. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, also if you, I'm on all the social medias, but most probably the most on uh, Instagram technology or Facebook technology um, animal training. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for time and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you listeners for joining us today. I will have all of Heather's information in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the episode today, please do not hesitate to rate us on the mediums that be. Until next time, I'm your host, Sura.